Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey, Adapters, welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited about this episode. You have heard me repeatedly talk about the lack of college-level programs focusing on climate adaptation in the United States. Well, we've got you covered in today's episode. Joining me is Dr. Sarah Strauss and Dr. Janine Duddle, co-directors of a newly launched master's program in community adaptation at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Janine and Sarah discuss how they decided to start the program, what type of students they are hoping will apply, and why there is a growing demand for this type of higher education work in adaptation. If you're a student looking at studying adaptation at the graduate level, this episode is your huckleberry. Okay, upcoming episodes. I have Dr. Victoria Herman, a National Geographic Fellow, joining me to talk about her Eroding Edges project and her organization, Rising Tides, that is seeking to connect adaptation experts with communities that need help with adaptation planning. Looking forward to that conversation. And it's a busy spring. I'm doing two events you should join. On April 24th, I'm moderating a panel of experts and local politicians called Resilient Nantucket Forum Designing for Adaptation. Learn how the famous island is adapting to climate change. Also, I was invited to emcee a really cool live event being put on by the MIT Environmental Solutions Initiative, which is the creator of the great podcast, Today I Learned Climate. We'll listen to short episodes and then past guests from MIT will join in and we'll take questions from listeners like you. This is on April 22nd. Yes, Earth Day, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern. Registration for both of these events are in my show notes. Definitely check out these excellent springtime climate opportunities. Okay, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about another great podcast. How do you deal with all the bad news about climate change and humanity's sustainability crisis? Well, you could get really upset or pretend there's no problem, but that's not nearly as fun or useful as listening to the Crazy Town podcast. Each episode of Crazy Town challenges the status quo and makes you think differently about how we could live on planet Earth in a more sustainable and sane way. In Crazy Town, you feel like you're hanging out with smart and funny friends, gaining insights and sharing laughs. Follow Crazy Town wherever you get your podcasts. Crazy Town is part of the Post Carbon Institute Podcast Network. The Institute is a nonprofit organization leading the transition to a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable world. To hear a sample directly from the hosts, stick around until the end of this episode to hear their trailer. Okay, adapters, let's join with Dr. Janine Duddle and Dr. Sarah Strauss. Hey, adapters, welcome back. Today, I have a very exciting episode. I'm talking with Dr. Janine Duddle and Dr. Sarah Strauss of Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Janine is an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering, and Sarah is a professor of integrative and global studies at WPI. They are co-directors of a first-of-its-kind Master of Science program in community climate adaptation. Hi, Janine and Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for having us. So we have this three-person conversation. These are always a bit fun. So I'm going to just jump in first with Janine. Can you tell us a little bit about WPI, if people aren't familiar with the university, and then more generally about the work you do there? Sure, I'd be happy to. WPI, which stands for Worcester Polytechnic Institute, we are located in the city of Worcester in central Massachusetts. 
And we celebrated 150 years not too long ago. So we've been around for a long time. We have a focus on STEM programs, uh, engineering and sciences, but also a full complement of programs in the humanities, the arts, the social sciences. And we've recently launched a new global school to bring together programs that we have in many different areas. We have about 5,000 undergraduate students. We've got a great group of graduate students, both full-time and part-time, and we've been expanding our PhD programs quite a lot in recent years. This new program that we have in Community Climate Adaptation is our newest graduate program as part of our global school, which builds upon a many-decade expertise that WPI has in training students in solving problems in the global environment. We have over 50 project sites throughout the entire world where our students go to explore grand challenges and try to solve real-world problems. And that's what our new program is building upon. Sarah, how long have you been there and what's your background? We're going to dig into the program itself, but let's hear more about just your background as a professor there. Sure. So I am a cultural anthropologist with a background in public health, and I just arrived at WPI last year, so fall of 2019. Got a chance to actually meet colleagues in person before everything shut down in March, which was good. And uh, I came from 24 years at the University of Wyoming, where I was in the anthropology department. My work has been really at the intersection of health and the environment, and I've worked on issues related to water and water resource management, as well as climate change, and then more recently, energy transitions as a way of thinking about adaptation and next steps once we've gotten past the fact that we have a problem with our climate. (laughs) So some background myself, you know, I've talked about universities lacking various adaptation programs for a while on my podcast. And when someone informed me that you guys are starting this master, I was very excited. That's why I reached out to you. That's why we're having this conversation here. And so part of it is just why have a a master's in adaptation? And we're going to start off, and I want you both to answer this, but Sarah, let's just go back to you. You know, why a master's in adaptation? Mm, Well, very good question. So my entire research career, as I said, I started with water when I listed things. And that was, I, I actually started working on climate issues in the early 1990s when I was living in Switzerland and trying to write a dissertation on a different subject, actually. So yeah, you need something else to work on. At that point, I was part of one of the first groups of social scientists outside of economists to really start to look at the human dimensions of climate change. That was in like 1993. And my next project that I started to work on was in the Alps, and it was looking at water resources. And and I realized very quickly that without attending to the impacts of climate change on the rapidly retreating glaciers in that area, I I really couldn't talk about water. And so I, I ended up shifting from strictly water to thinking about the impacts of climate change. And then in that incredibly beautiful valley that is in an incredibly beautiful country that has really the best circumstances for addressing climate change. That is, Switzerland has near 100% literacy, 100% buy-in that climate change is a problem, complete willingness to act on this. And yet still in this village, high up in the Alps, near the origins of the Rhine and Rhone rivers, that is the water supply for Western Europe, I would ask people, well, what happens when this river, you know, if this river stops flowing, this river that is bringing you your electricity from a local hydro plant, 
what happens, you know, if you don't have water here anymore? And to a person, and despite complete understanding in, in other ways of what was going on, they said, we'll move. And I thought, well, if you're at the top of the watershed and there's no water, it doesn't help to move downstream. And it was a realization that people, there, there was still a huge chasm between what the modelers and what climate scientists were saying to people about what the problems would be and what, what kinds of things people would need to be adapting to and what people on the ground who could see the pathway of their own retreating glacier right in front of their eyes from their village and know these things were connected, that they couldn't imagine anything else to do in that place, sent me to working on adaptation issues, very specifically shifting my focus from documenting what the impacts of climate change were to how do we help people move forward. And so I had been looking for ways to do this. And when the opportunity to move to WPI came up and the global school had been created, and we were talking here about global grand challenges, of which, of course, climate change is one of the biggest that we've got. In talking to faculty members at WPI, it seemed that there was a strong interest, first of all, in dealing with climate change. And dealing with these impacts meant addressing you know, the problem-solving aspect. How do we work in local communities to address this problem that exists at a global scale but manifests quite differently? And so adaptation issues fit in very well with the existing programs that Janine just told you about that we have students going all over the world already addressing all kinds of local problems, working with local sponsors, that is uh, NGOs, governments, businesses in particular communities that set up problems that, that we can assist with. And so climate change is the kind of problem that we have already been addressing at WPI in a variety of ways. And there was a lot of faculty interest in then focusing a new graduate level program on addressing this issue. And Janine, could you add to that? Because you've been at WPI longer and, and I guess add part of that is how did you team up with Sarah in the first place? I have been at WPI for a long time. I came to WPI in 1999, so it's been over two decades. And when I first started at WPI, I would consider myself a pretty classical environmental engineer. My specific area is in water quality and drinking water treatment. And I worked on more traditional problems at that time, looking at sources of pollution, looking at physical and chemical treatment processes to improve the quality of water. I had a strong focus on public health aspects, both acute and chronic diseases that can be transmitted through waters. But I was looking at it from a very science and engineering standpoint. That's the way I was educated, the way I was trained. And one tends to continue on like that when they first get started. Because I've been at WPI for so long, I've had an opportunity to work in our global program and advise projects in different places around the world, in London, in Costa Rica, in Africa. And through those projects, I became more involved with community-based solutions, not just coming up with technical solutions, but coming up with realistic solutions to problems, regardless of what that problem was, that incorporated a lot more than just engineering and science. And then I started incorporating that into my my graduate work with students who were working on water quality and water quantity issues in areas 
such as Ghana and India, looking at how community preferences and choices affect the use of water and the selection of water sources in a way that may not be in the best interest of public health. And so the question becomes, how do you come up with solutions to water issues when you have so many different dynamic uh, aspects to look at in how people make decisions. So through that, I started getting involved with researchers who were in areas of community health and public health, and as well as engineering, as well as people who were in statistics and other areas like that. So my interest in climate change has developed over the years to an understanding of how much of an impact climate has on these decisions we make about water sources. And in the U.S., we may have technological solutions in some places to handle climate change issues, which affects not only quantity, but also quality. In other countries, there may be other constraints we have to work under in order to come up with a viable solution, something that can truly be applied and continue for the long term. When the Global School was developed at WPI, it simply expanded the opportunities that I had for these type of collaborative engagements. And in the past, many years ago, I was sometimes looking to researchers at other universities to have such a diverse set of backgrounds that could really bring together the social sciences the engineering, the science, the community-based adaptation. To bring that all together, I was sometimes looking outside of WPI. We now have strengthened our programs so intensely, creating this new global school, bringing in new expertise, that we have the ability to do this all at our own university. And so that's how Sarah and I got together. People coming from different backgrounds and exploring these issues from different avenues, but looking for the same result of a community-based solution. And so Sarah and I got together and started talking about all of the resources we had available and how we could put together a program that was going to build upon our university expertise in solving global challenges and elevate that now to the graduate level of having our graduate students be full participants in this global program that we offer. Okay, that, that was great. You both kind of walked through your own histories in the, the field. That's great. And I can just see you guys getting together and let's create a master's. And because the fact that, Sarah, you just started there at WPI, not much time has passed between, I guess, some of those early conversations and actually creating the program. Maybe you could, Sarah, walk us through. And I think this is what I'm trying to get as you know, people that are interested in doing this themselves. You guys are starting your first program and we didn't, we should probably have said that early on the, the fall, this fall will be the first group of students. And so you're accepting applications now. And so there was a lot of probably bureaucratic things you had to get going. But really when you had those early conversations to the point that you officially had this program that was sort of launched, uh, how long did that all take? Yeah. So it was, you're right, a pretty tight timeline. So when I arrived, this was, you know, one of the things that I was asked to work on first was to help bring together a team for doing this. One of these new graduate programs, I will say we are developing multiple other programs. We have one that already started and there are other groups that are working across campus. But this was the one coming out of the Department of Integrative and Global Studies that I was joining and and seeing who else to partner with. And so that you know, I actually officially started only in October of 2019 at WPI, and but I was around moving back and forth from Wyoming and talking to folks. And really, as an anthropologist, my job is to hang out with people and talk to them and understand where they're coming from and what's important to them. And so the curse of anthropology, as one of my dissertation committee members said when I was a graduate student, was it ruins you for life. That is, you can't look at the world without these ethnographic 
glasses, lenses that make you step back and try and understand how systems and people, you know, systems work and people operate within them. So that was my first set of tools was to hang out with people and try and understand what would be a good fit and what kinds of things I could do to help this department move forward. And so then driving, it was actually kind of a funny story, driving back with the last load of stuff from Wyoming at the end of September, having just closed on our house there and literally leaving a storm that was closing Highway 80, I-80 behind us, which is sort of typical for Wyoming weather, I came across and and as I was driving east, I thought about all the things I had been learning and came up with the outline for a program that would be reflecting what we've been talking about with these undergraduate projects and, and coming forward in, into something that would be a manageable graduate program. So this program, we started the process of, first of all, within the two departments, getting, uh, getting ideas out there, meeting with various other faculty committees across the institution because uh, WPI is a very, has a very strong faculty governance. So we had to go through a lot of committee structures to get this approved. And ultimately, the degree program was approved only in December of 2020, so just earlier this academic year. Um, And and it went through just numerous iterations and presentations to folks in in all parts of the institution as we were making those plans. Janine, did you want to add any details to that? I will just say that I give... Sarah, quite the large majority of the credit for developing the curriculum. She did a fantastic job in bringing together faculty from many different disciplines to support this program, which was really amazing given how new Sarah is to the university and how quickly she became an expert in everything that we had to offer and how we could bring it together. I'll say it was a bit easier on my side because as an established department, we already had the technical classes available for this program to support the science and engineering aspects of the program in terms of teaching students about whether it's water treatment or waste treatment, hydraulics and hydrology, et cetera. And Sarah's efforts were really to create new parts of the curriculum that would integrate the social sciences and other considerations to have a balanced program. So we definitely went through many conversations and iterations, got feedback from lots of people. And Sarah's efforts on this were were amazing to get this program developed in a pretty short period of time, given the, as Sarah was describing, all of the different levels of approvals that we have to go through at our university, which are important. They're there for a reason to make sure that we're offering a really high quality education to our students. So really happy that this got passed this year. Okay. So let's jump into that. The coursework to me is always the most interesting thing. And so I, I guess from the, the previous courses that you offer at WPI, in some ways you're cobbling things together by existing coursework, but how much did you find that? And you just sort of alluded to it there, just how much new coursework was needed to sort of say that this is an adaptation masters. And could you maybe even, and Sarah, I'm going to start with you again, mm-hmm. is that you'd mentioned the social sciences, but if someone's looking at this program, are they getting a technical degree? Could you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. So the first thing is, and this is certainly, there are plenty of technical only degrees at WPI, right? Engineering degrees that would qualify students within that professional field. And this is not 
in that same sense, it's not an engineering degree. It is a degree designed to be attractive to students who come from a variety of backgrounds themselves, which could be quite wide ranging. They could be people who had been out in the world in practice in one field or another, whether that was environmental consulting or whether it was something, you know, or engineering or whether they had been working in a policy arena. People could be bringing many different elements to this degree program. And the idea is that we have a three-semester program. In the first semester, students are doing courses that are, first of all, bringing them together and developing a shared vocabulary. So there is a kind of theory course called Theorizing Place, Community, and Global Environmental Change that runs the first semester length. And that helps people along with our orientation to the program to figure out how they are even talking about the problem and the potential ways to address, to adapt to climate change, and making sure we are literally speaking the same language. Then we have, and this is another unusual part of the WPI academic structure. So we actually are on four quarters that are seven or eight weeks long. And so they fit within the nine-month normal academic calendar two quarters per semester. So many of our graduate degree programs at WPI are on the semester basis that people are familiar with. The undergraduates are all on the quarter system. And the cool thing to me is that we had the ability, and there are some other graduate programs at WPI that also do this, to have either term or semester classes. And so we have split the the program in in making maximal use of that. So we have this theory seminar orienting students. That's a new class that lasts the whole first semester. And then the students are taking four other paired classes in that first term. And those are a two-course sequence of essentially qualitative methods and also more environmental planning and modeling. So that second one draws on coursework that already existed in civil and environmental engineering. And the first, the qualitative methods for community engaged research is essentially an expanded version of what we already teach to undergraduates in preparation for their team projects. And then we have a pair of climate orienting classes. So one is essentially dealing with the physical science, a climate science and, and the physical parameters. And the second is a human dimensions of climate change. Again, paired quarters. So together, that coursework across the first semester, but it's broken down in somewhat unusual ways. And so all of those are new courses that we developed, though they had, for the methods courses, they had a basis in existing courses. And then our students go in teams of what we expect to be three or four students, either based in Massachusetts, there will always be a Massachusetts-based team, or to one of our 50-plus centers around the world to participate in a full semester, and it could even extend into the summer, of interdisciplinary team-based research, working with a local sponsor, again, could be an NGO, local government, business, to address a climate adaptation problem in that community. They then come back and in the third semester, the following fall, they will take again a full year, full semester seminar in which they can compare notes and think about 
how you move forward. This is where we'd be also addressing more communications issues and that kind of topical concern, as well as taking electives that help them go deeper into areas that they feel they need more expertise, and also finishing writing up what would be the traditional thesis in another program. But instead of an individual thesis, this is a team report, a team project that will be defended as a team, and they will have done individual depth competencies in these various courses as they go along to demonstrate their individual competence. But the actual major project outcome is a team experience. And that also is quite unique. That sounds excellent. And Janine, I want you to wait, if there's anything you want to add about the coursework, but I'm curious with your background in the civil engineering and such, and you look at the coursework that's more on the technical side, has there been any pushback, I guess, from other faculty that, okay, you're going to take some of these courses that, or engineering courses, and then it's going to be, you know, you're getting this adaptation degree. And I don't know if you guys have sort of figured out, but adaptation still has a bit of an identity crisis. Is there any concern that you're bringing some of these things? Well, you should be getting a master's in civil engineering. The fact that you do it under this umbrella of adaptation, maybe will give people some heartburn. Anything like that happening? We look at this degree as a, a bit of a different path for students who are coming from a technical background, in the sense that we already have many students who come through civil engineering or environmental engineering degrees, continue on into a master's in civil or environmental engineering. And we're absolutely not saying that that's a bad pathway. That's an excellent pathway for advanced studies for many students who are going into traditional engineering consulting, engineering design, engineering research, etc. The goal of this program is to open up the opportunities for students who have backgrounds in many different areas to be pursuing climate change adaptation jobs that normally they wouldn't have the appropriate background for just from their undergraduate degree. If we send a student with a traditional engineering degree into a government organization or a nonprofit or another entity that's working on climate change adaptation, the issue is that those students have to learn so much on the job because they only have the technical background, but they don't have all of these other components that Sarah was talking about. So this program is really meant to take students in my line of work from a technical engineering or science background and make them much broader experts, much broader per- professionals, and have a much broader perspective on being able to work in the climate change sector and actually apply technical solutions that are going to work because they have considered all of these community issues along with the technical expertise. The students who are going to take our technical electives are going to have a technical background. So they're still going to be building strengths in those areas. But this program has them build strengths in a much broader set of areas that opens up their abilities in their professional careers to really have an impact specific to climate change. As I was saying earlier, I kind of meandered into climate change a little bit over time and had to learn as I go along and had to partner myself with other researchers who had the social science background that I did not have. This program aims to do that partnership as part of a master's program so that our graduates are entering the workforce with this level of competence, something that you can't gain from a traditional program that is a single discipline. 
as you develop this this coursework, WPI obviously has a rich history of courses to choose to kind of create this master's program, but there's a lot of exciting work going on at other universities. Even though they might not be doing master's programs, there's a lot of professors doing really interesting work that could be very relevant to your students. Have you been able to connect with this external research or resources out there that you want to bring into your program that you want them exposed to this kind of these efforts that are happening elsewhere? Sure. So one of the things we did this year as part of developing the graduate program and the new department was to start a seminar series in the Department of Integrative and Global Studies that really, yes, is for the department as a whole, but but this is actually the first uh, degree program of our department, joint with CEE. And the seminar series is is named Collaboration for a Better World. And it allows us to bring in both people from across campus, but people from outside as well to share their expertise with students. So that's something that will be an integral part of the degree program when it gets going. Students will be participating in the seminar. Readings in classes will reflect connections to these speakers and the speakers will be connecting with the students. Certainly that's one silver lining from COVID is our ability to connect with people in much wider ranges and not just in the local area. So that's a very nice thing. And so that's one piece. But we also, I want to highlight another feature of the Global School is what we call the Global Lab, which started a couple of years ago. And that has been a center that is focused on transmedia storytelling and communications. It was conceived initially as a way to help WPI students and faculty I think, to communicate better across very many different kinds of media. And they have all sorts of technical expertise that they help our students and faculty with. They also produce workshops of various kinds. And so we look to the Global Lab to help us bring in some more extended, not just sort of lecture length, but but more extended workshops for our students, as well as other global school and you know, graduate students across the university. But these are some of the tools that we have right now to help us bring these things together. And then on the sort of further outside, I know you and I were talking about before the ASAP, the American Society for Adaptation Professionals. And they, of course, have been developing basically terminology, uh, competencies, skill sets that they think adaptation professionals should have access to and develop their expertise in, as well as principles of ethics and things like that. And so we are certainly looking to those organizations, and I've been in conversation with them, to see how we can help each other as we move forward. Janine, when it comes to the coursework, as you guys have that down, you go to the website and there it is. And I don't know how set in stone it with those things. And if you're looking at it now and you're thinking year two, and I think I've already given you guys some feedback. I'm like, okay, hey, you guys need to add this kind of course here. And then I'll go ahead and say it, in climate communications. And I know you, you think it, it's embedded in there, but now that you've had a little bit of time to sit on the, the curricula, do you see things that might evolve over the next year? That's a great question. And we are a brand new program. <laughs> the program was just approved in December of this academic year. So we're in the process of admitting our first cohort of students to start in the fall of 2021. And while we have a program, and as you said, we've got a website that shows, take this class, take this class, here's the content, etc. I don't think we ever feel that our programs are set in stone and don't have the ability to 
grow and evolve over time. Having our graduate students go as teams to global sites to work on these climate change adaptation problems is something brand new. We, on occasion, have a graduate student going here or there for uh, some sort of research, usually connected with a single faculty member and a very disciplinary specific type of project. Even though we're building on over 40 years of global projects with our undergraduate students, having our graduate students have this global team experience is something brand new. And I think that we are going to be reflecting on the content of our program through the first several years in terms of seeing the outcomes that our students have in terms of their learning, their teamwork, their cooperation, their communication, and their understanding of the disciplines that are not their primary area. If we have an engineer come into our program, we want to know that that engineer has an understanding of global justice and economics and geography and the human environment landscape, et cetera. We have plans as part of our program to have our students develop portfolios of their work that we can use in an assessment of the program. Are we meeting the objectives of the program in terms of the learning outcomes? And also, are our students achieving the goals that they have set for themselves both from an educational standpoint and a professional standpoint. That type of assessment we have embedded into our program so that we can reflect and make decisions on moving forward based on what our students' needs are. I think it's really important for all programs, not just our climate adaptation program, but for all programs to be able to have that kind of reflection to build upon the program and to make it just a better program over the course of time. We also will have new faculty hired into our programs, uh, especially as the global school, being a relatively new school at WPI, is being expanded and we're hiring new people in. So we will have the opportunity to bring more expertise into our program uh, throughout the first few years. It's the fact that this is the first program of its kind at your school and one of the first in the country. The, this first class is really going to be unique. And, you know, I encourage you doing at the end of two years. It's a two-year master's program, right? It is one and a half years, actually. One and a, Okay, one and a half years. Yes. You know, like a graduate symposium where you really empower the students, like you just described, Janine, sort of saying, where, what are maybe some of the gaps, what's really worked, and the fact that you have these three to four people teams that are kind of working, that would just be such a fascinating thing is that they that students can reflect on, on what they just went through through like a formal symposium. Anyway, just some feedback. I think yeah. that would be really cool. Even external people would love to get their perspective. You know, there's some of the early um, takers on just creating programs out of this. Well, absolutely. And we will be, you know, we already have that sort of graduate symposium anyway at WPI, but absolutely part of a critical part of this program is that presentation. And as I said, there will be, and this is again, something that we do do with our undergraduates is having those skills at presenting their work and communicating what they've done to the people that sponsored the project. And this is something that will also be, of course, part of the graduate program um, in terms of presentation in the portfolios. And again, we're very fortunate to have Janine as one of the leads on this project, because one of her other many other hats at the university has been as part of the direction for our Center for Teaching and Learning that really tracks all of these different techniques and tools that faculty can use to improve student learning. And then again, to assess 
and make sure that we are providing the kind of education that we that we intend to do. And so we have this kind of constant reflection process built in. And I will say also in terms of the electives, so the first electives will not happen then until a year from fall for because they have a, a kind of mandated first term. There's too much to fit in into this, this three-semester program. And so by doing it this way, we have a little more time to reflect on who is actually in our first cohort, what are the needs of students as far as electives and whether they're being met by what we have, and to, again, drum up more business because with only approving it uh, in its basic form in December, right, there is is absolutely a lot of room for expansion and for development of courses. And we have we have faculty already writing grants to develop new courses. In fact, one, one of my colleagues just did that, and we're going to pilot some of his ideas for community engagement in the orientation for the first year class. And then he plans to develop that into an elective later on. So a lot of opportunities for for revision and uh, addition. Okay, let's talk about the application process. And so it, it, people can go online, they can learn all the sort of the requirements. Okay, these this is your GPA, this is sort of the basic coursework, but people are not getting undergraduate degrees in adaptation. <laughs> they don't exist. And it, and you know, Janine, let's start with you. Could you let's say I, I have a student listener that's very interested in going to a graduate program and this offers up. What qualities are you looking for in a student that would succeed in this program? And I hope that that, that makes sense. Not that, oh, well, you need this sort of prerequisite coursework, because that's obviously they're going to tick that off, but who's really going to thrive in this kind of program? You're right. We're not looking for a checkbox of you've taken this course or that course. We are looking for students who have the ability to undertake big problems that may or may not have solutions. Let's be honest, there are a lot of problems for which solutions are very difficult to come up with. Who have teamwork, who have a strong undergraduate degree in an area that works in our program, which is quite broad. It can be in social sciences, it can be in environmental studies, the physical or biological sciences, engineering. We are looking for a diverse group of students who are engaged, who want to solve these grand challenges, who have the teamwork skills to pursue a project like this, and also students who have shown aptitude for study outside of their major area. This program is really looking to have whichever word you want to pick, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary. We are looking to put together teams of students who are coming from different backgrounds. So the ability to work effectively with people from different backgrounds and with different expertise, that is really key to success in this program. We have a pretty standard application process. Of course, the students submit their transcripts to us and give letters of recommendation and a statement of purpose. What we're looking for in those recommendations and the essay from the student is really how they feel their background could lead them into this program and how they would benefit from the program. What are they looking to do professionally where this program would be a great fit. As I was talking about before, there are many students who are coming from disciplines where the job opportunities that they're seeking require a much broader knowledge base than a disciplinary degree gives them. And those students are the ones who are going to benefit most from our program by being able to take a disciplinary background and apply it in this really much broader context um, and perhaps in a global context as well. Our students may have desires to work in other countries 
either temporarily or permanently after their graduation. So we want students who can adapt and who are excited to take on these kinds of challenges, um, who aren't afraid to do something different and new and be a part of a very novel program. Most students do not go to graduate school to do a group project for their thesis. It's very unique. So we are looking for a unique set of students. Very exciting. Sarah, yep. could you provide some of the, the actual deadlines and logistics? I mean, if someone's listening to this right now, and you know, these podcasts have a sort of long shelf life. Someone listens to this a year from now, they can go into the next cycle. But what, what's the status on people wanting to apply to the program? Right. So this year, because we were so just to the wire in getting the program available to apply for, we have not put a deadline, a fixed deadline for entry. We certainly like to see applications as soon as possible. We're keeping it open right now uh, through the spring and trying to draw the most diverse and engaged, collaboratively minded students. But if anybody just Googles, we've got a pretty good setup here where if you Google WPI and community and climate, you will go right to our website. And so that has information about the program and links to faculty, as well as a link to the application, the online application. There is uh, no GRE requirement. We decided that that was not something that we wanted to do. And indeed, actually, we are moving towards no standardized tests for undergraduates as well. We have always had them optional or had them optional for quite a long time and now uh, moving away from that as well. So no standardized test requirement, but a demonstration of your passion and your interest in learning from each other and also talking about what you can bring and how this will help you achieve your goals. So those are all things that we are looking for in students. And right now, you know, in the coming year, there will be a, a deadline that will be earlier. But this year, we have just left it open for now. I'll have all sorts of links in the, the show notes for the individual episode. And are you guys hoping, I mean, I'm sure no one's made the call, well, maybe you have like in-person on campus in this fall. What, what What's it look like right now? Right now, we are planning to be back in person in the fall. We WPI has had, you know, knock on wood, a really successful management of the COVID experience. Our president, uh, Lori Leshen, has done a phenomenal job. She really led the campus and and also the state. She was actually the chair of the Massachusetts State Higher Ed COVID Task Force Committee in really uh, developing best practices. And we've really been able to keep things at a minimum with campus infections and students, faculty, staff, everybody has been so cooperative. And so the decision at the moment, assuming things continue on the pathway and folks are vaccinated and all of those things, is that we will be back in person in the fall. We are, I will say, looking at ways to ultimately d- deliver this in a, in a hybrid mode, this degree program, as far as the coursework. But the one thing that will need to happen, whether it is in Massachusetts or whether it is at one of our sites abroad, is that people will need to be able to travel to participate with the team for that second semester. So even if we can provide um, distance access, and certainly if we are not able to be on campus, we absolutely, as we have been all year, uh, be providing uh, distance access to the courses, we will need to be traveling. Now, that said, I just, (laughs) that seems contradictory, right? Um, We want people to have that on-site experience, and that has been a hallmark of our undergrad degrees. But I just finished advising students in Costa Rica 
on projects, some of which were actually climate related and a variety of other things. And we met over Zoom with community folks in Costa Rica. They did the students did an online Spanish training program to get their Spanish skills in, polished up a bit before they started in with the with their projects. And we completed full projects that were presented to the folks in Costa Rica from wherever the students were. And, and in our case, we had a lot of students in Massachusetts, but we had students in California and in Spain and in Sweden and you know all sorts of other locations as they were uh, working together with their teams and completing these projects that were to for uh, sponsors in Costa Rica to improve the situation on those problems there. So we can carry out the whole thing remotely. Uh, of course, we feel very strongly that being located in community is by far the best way to do it. And things working out, we hope to be able to travel again next year. I think we're on the cuffs. I think there's just a huge demand for what you're doing here. So, you know, thanks for being leaders in the field. And just a suggestion, you know, it's always good to kick off a new program by giving an honorary doctorate to someone. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe right, some exposure <laughs> for the program. <laughs> be kind of fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, so much fun, particularly in person with all the pomp, you know? <laughs> You're right. We could just have a big, that would be kind of cool. Okay. So Janine, if you could recommend any guests to come on the podcast, who would it be? I would recommend the director of the National Science Foundation, who is currently Setharaman Panchanathan. And just in general, just to talk about science, what do you think would be a good sort of angle for that? I think the National Science Foundation should be one of our beacons for who we look to to look at science, at engineering, at the social sciences, about applications, about solutions, uh, and about fundamental research where we are trying to solve these type of grand challenges that are part of the Community Climate Adaptation Program. All right, excellent. And Sarah? Some of the most interesting stuff uh, relating to climate change and impacts in the mountains and, and adaptation in mountain areas has been with Ben Orlov. And he's at Columbia and has done, also runs their master's in climate policy. They do a whole lot of really interesting work, particularly about mountain regions. So I would suggest Ben. All right. Two great recommendations. Okay. Sarah, Janine, this has been a, a, a treat chatting with you. I wish you all the luck in the world. And you know, again, thank you for starting this program. And I think it's going to be an exciting journey. And I think a lot of people can learn from what you're doing. And for my student listeners, hopefully it's a program that they might be interested in applying to, but thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Okay, adapters, that is a wrap. Thanks to Dr. Strauss and Dr. Duddle for coming on the podcast. This is an exciting development. There are very few college programs dedicated to the issue of climate adaptation. They truly are pioneers in the field at WPI. I have quite a few academics who listen to this podcast. Maybe this work will inspire some of you that there's a demand for this type of curricula at your school, be it at the undergraduate or graduate level. And students, I've had many of you reach out to me wanting to know how you can get into the adaptation space. I think the sky is the limit in the years ahead. 
but we are still in a flux time where it's not clear how committed communities are to adapting to climate change. That will change whether these communities like it or not, and there will be a growing demand for this type of expertise. It will truly be a growth industry in the near and long term. Check out WPI's program, even just to get a sense of the coursework they are offering. And if you end up applying, let me know what I would love to track your progress. Okay, don't forget to subscribe to the America Adapts newsletter. We highlight the latest episode and news and stories related to that episode's topic. We also highlight other climate podcasts and share a few other adaptation-related goodies. In the show notes, there is a link to subscribe. And here's a call to action. Encourage your friends and colleagues to subscribe to the newsletter. Okay, so if you're interested in highlighting your adaptation work via America Adapts, think about using a podcast. Sponsoring a podcast allows you to focus on the work you're doing and sharing with some climate professionals from around the world. So for example, World Wildlife Fund sponsored me to do several episodes around flooding and disaster management. At the time, I traveled on location to interview experts they wanted me to include as part of that episode. Usually those episodes have quite a few expert guests. So basically, they are sponsoring an entire episode to share their particular story. I've done it with various universities like UCLA, Harvard, University of Florida, and nonprofits. It's a chance to share your story with all my listeners and think about doing something different than just writing a white paper at the end of your project. Most projects have a communications budget written into them. Consider a podcast. I'm at americadaps at gmail.com. Some final housekeeping. Don't forget to join the Facebook page and the Facebook community group. The group is private, but just search for America Adapts and I will approve you to get in right away. We have some nice, fun conversations. On that note, I love hearing from you. Take the time to email me. You guys have been doing this consistently. You know, just say who you are. If you're working in the field, great. That's very useful information to me. Or you're not in the field, but you just get some value out of the podcast. I love hearing from you. So please take the time. Look down at your phone. Send me an email, americadaps at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the website, americaadapts.org. Okay, adapters, keep up the great work. I'll see you next time. We are now descending into crazy town. Work has become a luxury for those who still have a job. Protests against police brutality and systemic racism are spreading. Fires spread across 3 million hectares of Siberia. Crazy Town, the pile of garbage that you never want to smell. If we're going to change the direction, the trajectory of this civilization, we're going to have to do things completely opposite of what we've been doing in the past, right? Channel your inner George Costanza. Whatever action you thought you were going to take, don't. Stop. Do the the opposite. Crazy Town, the podcast that's brave enough to face the truth. Playful enough to laugh about it. And even crazy enough to try something different. Please join us as we explore the mean streets of Crazy Town. Subscribe to Crazy Town on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nailed it!